Hi, and welcome to Femmes Finance Podcast. I'm your host, Asiet, and this podcast aims to support, educate, and empower women to achieve career success and financial freedom. In each episode, Femmes Finance talks with successful women leaders, founders, and investors to inspire you in your journey to financial freedom. Check out the show notes, links, and resources on our page, femmesfinance.life. Hi, everyone, and thanks for tuning in today for another episode of the Femmes Finance Podcast Show. My name is Asilia Altaeva, and today's our guest is a great female leader in the finance industry, Julia Mashko. She is a managing director at Vanguard Group Europe, and she has previously held positions as managing director at IG Group and finance director at Credit Suisse. Vanguard is one of the largest investment management companies in the world, which is known for its mutual funds and exchange-traded funds. As of 2022, Vanguard has more than $8 trillion in assets under management. In today's podcast show, we have an amazing opportunity to chat with Julia and learn more about your career and life journey. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Great. So now let's start by giving some context for our listeners who might not have all the information about you, and then we can provide some more details. So maybe you could share a bit about your background, including your childhood, education, and career path as a finance director. Sure, why not? I was born in Kazakhstan. I grew up there. And uh, with 17, my family moved uh, to Germany. My mom had German roots. In Germany, I studied. I finished the school here. I studied finances mainly. Also went to the UK for a year to study business administration there. And then after having spent some internships in banking industry, I started working for Deutsche Bank in one of the group functions as a graduate. After about six years in Germany, I moved with the bank to London. I spent maybe just over five years working for Deutsche Bank and Credit Suisse. And after that, I moved back to Frankfurt because I got my son and changed my family plans, moving back to Germany to be close to my family, where I also joined IG as a finance director and MD for the Europe subsidiary there, spent another two years. And now here I am working for Vanguard for the continental Europe subsidiary that they have within the group. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing it. Uh, I would like to ask about the female representation in the leadership roles. As we all know, there is still a lot of progress that needs to be done. So it would be very insightful for us to hear about your experience as a woman leader and how you overcome all the challenges and obstacles that you faced in your journey. As you can imagine, financial services is more of an elite industry where the teams, but also the management are largely male-dominated, and there aren't many women, at least in the leadership cohorts, while on more junior levels, approximately half of employees is female, half of them is male. So there is a bit of a structural change that happens when you progress through the ranks, within the company. But the good thing is the industry is really trying hard to change that dynamics. And there is a lot of stuff companies do to change it. And I I would say for the last 15 years that I spent in the industry, I have seen quite some progress. I personally experienced from that perspective, I would rather say is also, you know, being able to see the reasons behind what's happening, but also understanding that it's not necessarily anything personal, but also making sure 
you learn how to deal with those situations without damaging the relationships too much, without damaging your own career path, but also making sure getting help from HR, getting help from your colleagues, having some conversations, making sure you understand the problem fully first before you move on and act upon it. So that was quite a challenge to actually learn how to balance those things before you start taking action. And I wouldn't say that more challenges were actually linked to that to that aspect, but generally my challenges were that in my early years of the career, I was really trying to take any opportunity to advance and was really pushing and was very fixated on making linear progress in my career, linear and steady progress. While now, later on, I understand that I didn't necessarily pay an adequate price for it. So I would rather say now when I do have to make decisions where to move next and what move I should take next, I would rather step back and think from a different angle. In my early years, I spent a huge amount of energy for career sake. Now I would rather say I would rather like to save more energy than time and sometimes even slow down and adjust the pace just for the sake of actually making sure that I can sustain over the long term. I think it's much more important for for anyone who really wants to be successful in his profession and his career is to try to think in various scenarios and not just stick to one single path and stick to it even if you start understanding that maybe this path is not sustainable. Try to always be prepared to pull out a plan B or plan C or what other alternatives do you you think you have and before making any big moves just to see what other alternatives are out there where does it lead me next and what other doors it will open for me is it just one door is it a door at all or is it several opportunities that this job will open up for me or this move because it's not necessarily always just moving jobs sometimes you move companies but do the same job then or sometimes you move countries and sometimes you move everything at the same time so there are quite some difficult decisions to make and I think thinking in different scenarios really is helpful to make such difficult decisions. Yeah, that's amazing advice. And this is actually linked to my next question about your career path. While listening to your answers, I was curious on how you chose your career path in the finance industry. Was it something you always knew you wanted to do? Or did you discover your interest in finance through other experiences? Was your career path planned or more spontaneous? I think it was half planned, half spontaneous, because for me personally, I always knew I can do well with numbers, that's for sure. And I really like working in the financial industry because it's very, it's very demanding and very dynamic, especially after the financial crisis of 2008. But also it was half spontaneous because when I moved to Germany with my family, I was 17. And when I joined the university, I had to make a decision what what type of direction I should take and what type of profession would be more of interest to me. And it was literally just a decision to do more with finances within the business administration study because I simply didn't yet have good enough German language to study in German something humanitarian. And I just said, it will be much easier for me if I just go into finances because with numbers, I can deal well without having a very high level of the language. And one one thing led to the other. So what kind of recommendations can you give to college students trying to discover themselves or trying to find the right career path? 
I think advice number one is try to look beyond what you studied. Try to look beyond what, what really is something that you are passionate about, just to widen your horizon. On my side, in the last year of my studies, I took the course for international human resource management. And it was a real eye-opener to me to understand that there are much more interesting disciplines in the business than just numbers or just finances to understand how another function in the company would work and tick and what other priorities would be out there. So I would say if you really want to make sure you learn how to see the big picture, try to look beyond your direction of studies and take a couple of subjects that are totally out of your specialization just to make sure your horizon is widened. And also talk to other students, try to crowdsource on what other people do, what other people think. You know, this diversity of ideas, diversity of perspectives really starts at the university. Great advice. I'll definitely consider your advice because I'm also a college student and I'm trying to discover what area to choose. Because I'm taking double major, I can choose both like finance industry and computer science and technology. So having this advice is very beneficial and I, and I hope it will help many of our listeners to find the right path. So now let's talk about life and career success. Can you please share with us some of your own strategies and tactics for achieving success in both your career and personal life? And I would also love to know about specific skills or books or courses that have been particularly beneficial to you in your journey. And how have you utilized everything that you've learned in your personal professional life? When I think about strategies, I would say that it's really important to save your energy and to make sure you manage your energy well over the long run. And always think about weighing off the short-term gain versus the long-term success, because in the long run, it's all about for you to have a sustainable path, but also a path that doesn't necessarily lead into a job where there is no further area for development. So always look at your career as a, a long marathon rather than just the next job move. I'll say I learned how to let go of things when I see that the goal is no longer sustainable or the situation is no longer beneficial. So being able to adjust your plans and being able to let go of things that you can't really hold on to anymore, and also being able to decelerate, to, to reduce pace. Sometimes it goes very quickly. Sometimes the opportunities come along at the time where you least expect it. It's totally okay to slow down. It's totally okay to say no sometimes because it's just too much change and you will become less stable. And it's also totally okay to get help. I think many women actually tend to do things just by themselves, run the household, manage kids, manage the diary, book the travel, you know, all, all, all this funny stuff that comes on top of the job. I think getting help for as long as you can afford it or for as long as you have support in the family, get it and use it. That's, that's very important because, again, it's down to managing your energy levels and making sure you can prioritize but it's also totally okay to change priorities sometimes at different stages in life. For as long as you are young, you can take the risks, you can move countries, you can, you know, take on new assignments. But when, for example, you start having kids, that's where sometimes the priorities change and you just say, okay, would like to stop moving and just stay in the job for, for another couple of years get it routinized because I have different priorities to manage or you just reset yourselves and, and say I need to have a more slightly different setup to be able to manage it all and have it all under one roof. This 
very dynamic planning of Korea, I think, will be more of a challenge for the younger generation because the whole world has become much more dynamic. So I think strategy is good, but it doesn't need to be very rigid and it needs to be more dynamic and fit our lives, uh, if it makes sense, rather than having a five years plan, which you then just stick to it and it's set in stone. Nothing is set in stone nowadays. Now let's talk about women representation in the investment industry. I would like to ask, what do you believe are the main barriers that prevent women from entering the investment industry and start investing? And what steps can be taken in order to encourage and attract more women to invest? I think you don't need to trust the industry in order to delegate managing your finances to a professional investment manager or asset manager, depending on how you call it. You don't need to have much trust. Trust is good. Control is better. But you need to make sure that you fully understand what this manager will do for you. You need to make sure you fully understand the cost of this investment advice or of this investment management. That's also very important. You should also fully understand how you exit these investments and at what time, what sort of liquidity levels this investment has, how quickly you can get in and out. And things like that, you need to weigh off all those things, but also risks versus the chances. And then uh, it's less about trust. It's more about you feeling more in charge and feeling more in control of what's going on, even if you delegate it to an investment manager. So I think it's more a psychological thing. And also everyone is in charge of his and her own finances. And even if you have a great marriage and great partnership, things can happen that are out of your control. But I really think it's about how you ensure yourself for your longer term future. And this really is a task for everyone. Great. As we are Femmes Finance Project and we aim to increase the number of women investors in this field, how do you think what kind of projects we can implement in order to attract more women? I think education is key. Making sure people understand how the investment industry works or what type of investment investments are out there how to balance risks and, ch and chances of each investment type, maybe also investing in good books or listening to um, industry leaders. We live in a digital age where you can find uh, plenty of YouTube channels, plenty of podcasts, plenty of other sources of information where you can search for exactly right level of knowledge and abstraction that fits you and then just listen to it daily. I think no matter how how well versed you are in finances on each level of this knowledge you can still start educating yourself on a daily basis and just listening to the right podcasts or reading the right books to educate yourself i think that's the very first step before you start really investing effectively but also when you are there to start investing you shouldn't think that you will be bound to just one investment manager or you should be bound to just one investment type you can still split your fortune into different investments and diversify. So there are really good products out there that spread the risks really well, like passive investment funds or exchange traded funds. So they spread the risk across all markets and really helps to limit the downside while you still can take the whole upside. So it really is about the education and understanding what offers in the industry 
and then you can see that really some of this may fit what you are looking for and how you can get women to invest more is to change these psychological barriers and make women feel more in charge of their own finances and then the second step obviously help with education help with bringing in more transparency over what's out there thank you so much hopefully with our project with our more podcast series and with inviting so many leaders like you will be able to overcome the psychological barriers that many women have now our next set of questions are related to investing so the first is about the different types of investing and what are the potential benefits and risks associated with each type there are very different types of investments out there depending on professionalism knowledge but also risk profile of the investor so when we talk about young ladies who don't really have yet big of a fortune and who just started savings they wouldn't go into things like private equity etc so i think we can leave it out there so for as long as we are clear on what target audience we talk about we can talk about there is real estate there there is proved to be to offer very successful strategies to build wealth but this is where there are two things to watch one is the liquidity because real estate investments tend to be very long term and illiquid but the second thing is for real estate because of the long term horizon you always need to watch in what part of the cycle we are now so in what part of the cycle do you invest in real estate and in what part of the cycle do you exit because it's a very long term investment when you start investing, you don't yet have enough for down payment for the property. Another very good type of investment that comes into question is investing in capital markets, but in a way that really limits your risks. And that's where things like passive investment funds or ex exchange rate funds, mutual funds that are passively following the markets and reflecting the market composition, spread the risks across the whole market. But the benefit is your money grows in line with the market you don't necessarily will overperform the market your money grows in line with the market but you limit the downside because you spread the market risk so that's that's very very general summary of the two biggest investment times that are out there obviously there is also a possibility to invest into stocks directly into single stocks directly which is much higher risk because on top of the market risk you would have this single title risk as we call it where the market might still be stable and still gaining but this specific company that you invested into might get into trouble and this will be directly reflected in your stock price that's just really for someone to decide personally because the upside is much higher investing into single stocks but also the risks are much much higher when you do that instead of investing into investment fund it really is weighing off the risks and chances and then comparing to the risk profile that you think you have and how much risks you are ready to take because in younger years people tend to take higher risks because they have a much longer time horizon they can still make it up if they make losses but when you approach retirement you start shifting into a much more risk averse profile and you start really saying it's not about high growth anymore for me it's about keeping my fortune reducing the risks of losing it rather than just pushing for growth because the more yield you pursue the higher risks you really need to take and that's that's 
not necessarily appropriate for everyone. But in younger years, individuals tend to take higher risks than later in their lives. So I would also ask some questions about ETF investment. Do you believe that an average person can successfully manage their own ETF investments? Or do you recommend us to seek advice from our financial advisors? That's a very interesting question because the industry really offers both, right? There are offers which we call discretionary where you delegate the investment decisions to the asset manager and you open up a depot or an account with the investment manager of your choice and then they make investments for you based on your risk profile. You definitely decide on the level of risks you want to take, but then the investment decisions are made by someone else. The second choice is to open a direct depot where you decide what ETFs you invest into and how you allocate your money to specific funds. So how much weighting you assign to each investment. I think the second choice makes you feel much more in control because you directly influence the decision and you directly decide what time you get in and what time you get out. But this is where I would say the second choice really requires a bit more knowledge and it requires more trust in yourself to do that. I can tell you that younger investors really use either of them. There is no clear tendencies that younger investors would largely use just one of those offers. That's not the case. It really depends on your personal decision, how much you want to influence yourself, how much you want to drive yourself, but also how much you already feel in the driving seat for your own money and how much you already know about the investments. How do you see what are the advantages and main disadvantages of investing in ETFs? ETFs usually are relatively low cost investment types where the same time you spread the risks over the whole market or the whole segment which this ETF specializes in. The good thing about it is that when you invest into a low-cost product, your yield over time automatically becomes higher because you save on the cost. This really is a good way to, to make sure your yield is more in line with the market over time. And for the risks, I think it's a great way to make sure you limit the downside. Even if you are still young and you still have much time to catch up or you still have enough time to build your fortune, you should still watch what risks you should really take in the market. And ETFs are a great way to reduce market risks. The market risk is still there, but you almost eliminate the single title risk that I was talking about when you start investing into single stocks. That's not present in the ETF because it spreads the investment over a large number of companies. So Julia, what kind of books and courses can you recommend for young women to read in order to learn more about investing? Even though I work in the finance industry, I still needed to learn how investments are made, what's out there, et cetera. So I would really advise everyone to try to read as much as possible. But also nowadays, there are so many podcasts and YouTube channels and other sources available. I would really try to use everything that is available in order to know and to understand more how the financial industry works, but also how you can make the right decisions for you for your future. So one example will be, and it's an absolute Bible to read, is The Little Book of Common Sense Investing from John Bogle, who also happens to be the founder of Vanguard. That book really explains well why ETFs are a good choice and how they work, but also what, what sort of advantages they offer. That's a great book to start with. 
Another one for beginners, for beginning investors. As an example, I read a book called Invested from Danielle Town. That's a book that really breaks down how she went into this thinking and how she made her first investment and how she learned to analyze potential investments before she actually made the leap. And that's, that's a very good book to illustrate this thinking process of a woman who never did investing before and then started doing it. So that, that's also a very good book to read. But also on personal development, for women to feel more in charge of their own finances, but also more in charge of their own career, I would really recommend reading books from leading coaches, someone like Marshall Goldsmith, for example. I, I really think all of his books are absolutely excellent. Brandon Burchard also is great. He, um, he is the author of Higher Performance Habits. It's not necessarily finance focused, but it, it helps women uh, being more driven uh, for their own career sake. Thank you so much for commenting it. Do you have any investment role model or someone whose investment strategy or philosophy admires you and you try to emulate in your own work? I would rather abstain from looking towards a single person or a single firm because it really is a slippery slope because I view financial investment success as something also unique. You, you can also define something really personally suitable for yourself, but not necessarily suitable for someone else. And this is where I would rather say learning the hard skills and learning about finances, learning about how you manage them will be much more beneficial rather than looking towards one single person or one single firm. Thank you so much, Julia. I really enjoyed our discussion and there, I believe there is so much more to discuss about investing in finance. Even last time when we talked about investing, it was just like a lecture and I learned so much from you. So thank you so much. And before wrapping things up, do you have any final thoughts of motivation to share before we conclude our first conversation? I really think it's about doing things and getting on that journey. Just if I may give any advice to the listeners, if it's young ladies, please just get on that journey. Just do things, just try things out. Mistakes happen. You can still forgive yourself and move on. You are young enough to make things up later on. Just try not to take excessive risks, diversify, educate yourself as much as possible before taking action, but do try to get on that journey and feel more in charge in your for your finances and for your career. You are in the driving seat and you are the actual pilot on that plane. Don't be afraid of making mistakes. You have still time and energy to make this up. Amazing. Thank you so much, Julia. Yes, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule and joining us today. And for our listeners, thank you for listening to us. And as Julia said, be the driver of your own journey and become financially independent. Thank you for motivating and inspiring us. Thank you so much for listening to the Femis Finance Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our RSS feed and all major podcasting platforms like Spotify and iTunes. And as always, if you enjoyed our podcast episode, please take a screenshot and post in your stories and tag me. Don't forget to follow, rate and review the podcast and tell me your key takeaways. 